Hey everyone, this is Matt and welcome to another Overflow Pod. We are on Daniel's eighth test, which is will you stand for God publicly in the light of all kinds of negativity and criticism? You know, it's it's common that the nail that sticks out, that's what gets hammered down. I've seen enough movies, especially military movies about boot camps where the first thing they do is they pick on somebody. First day, not even the first day, when the bus pulls up to take him to boot camp, the drill sergeant is going to always find somebody who stood out and took attention from them. And attention from a drill sergeant is never a good thing. And so usually they'll be stuck doing push-ups before they get on the bus and then even on the bus, causing problems and standing out. It's just a bad thing. You see, standing out can get you in a lot of trouble in boot camp and in the army and like But in life, we are called to stand out for Jesus. However, unlike the army, there are benefits of standing out. Here's the first benefit. Standing out for God is victory over fear. Now, let's before we get into everything, let's do talk about a couple things about fear. Fear isn't real. It's just a feeling. It can't last. Emotions, by their very nature, cannot and don't last whether they're good ones like happiness or bad ones like fear. They're just a feeling. It doesn't last. Second thing you need to know about fear is fear is uncomfortable, but it's not going to kill you. When you're afraid, when you get panicked, you feel like you're going to die. Your heart's palpitating. You're sweating. Your head gets dizzy and you think I'm going to die, but not really. You've just put in a, been in a fearful situation, but nothing happened to you. As we all know, that acronym fear is false evidence appearing real. Yeah, it's uncomfortable, but it won't kill you. Years ago, I watched this video on YouTube and it was great. It was about, they were doing a blind touch test. And so you had these two guys next to each other and they would put their arms and they were blindfolded. They would put their arms down and touch something. And so they would touch different things and then they would show their blood pressure go up. And one of them, when they opened it up, it made a noise and they knew it was a snake. And when they found out it was a snake, they freaked out. One of them freaked out and was like, are you guys trying to kill me? And he was like, no. And they watched his blood pressure go from 80 to like 95 in like a second. And then he, the snake moved as he touched him and his heart rate went up to 140. And the guy next to him, Touched him and he and he his also went up to like a hundred, but then he realized what kind of snake it was, and it was like, oh, this is just a constrictor; it's not going to bite me or anything. So he just petted the snake and let it move, and he immediately went down from a hundred beats per minute back down to eighty. It wasn't fear; he wasn't afraid anymore. But the guy, the one guy who who had his hand and he was shaking, his heart rate was over one forty because he was scared that the snake would bite him, even though. It was a constrictor and they didn't bite like a normal, like a venomous snake would. So it was funny because it was this picture perfect thing about fear, how fear really makes you uncomfortable. Third, fear grows when I give into it, but it lessens when I move against it. Fear grows just like that last guy with the snake. It grew and the other guy was like, oh, this isn't real. So he didn't care. See, every time you give into fear, you don't do the thing that you fear. The fear gets bigger. What's funny is that uh, 
that in that contest, the one who wasn't afraid of the snake just kept petting him the whole time and was moving around with his hands. And the other guy was like, no, I'm not putting my hand back in there. No, no, no. (laughs) And he's like, just go in there. He's not going to bite you. Even when they told him it was just like a python, it wasn't, you know, it would just move around and that they had already just eaten. So there was no danger of anything happening to him. He was like, no, no, no. And he was like out of breath and his heart rate was so shot high and you know and the other guy who was initially afraid moved against his fear and then fear went away because fear is unreasonable fear responds to action you know you can't let fear dominate you that's called courage courage is not the absence of fear don't think that courage is when you move against your fear courage is when you are when you know you're scared to death but you still do it that's courage. I was watching this video of a camper and he's afraid of heights and he is going to a campsite and he has these, he's going across a, a suspension bridge covered in ice. Now he put his ice uh, bottoms onto his sneakers. And so he's walking across this, this cliff and he goes, I'm very afraid. I'm scared out of my mind. I don't like heights. And he's, and he's videoing himself and you could see the look of fear in his eyes, but one step after another, he's on the bridge. And when he gets to the middle of the bridge, it starts to sway a little bit in the wind. And he was like, the bridge is swaying, but I'm going to keep moving. I'm not going to give in. And he made it across. Because fear lessens when you move against it. That's the way you get rid of fear in your life. Fear grows when you give into it. It dilutes when you move against it. It's like when you open the door and you realize that the boogeyman is a teddy bear. <laughs> Fear is always worse than the real thing because in the first place, the real thing doesn't last that long. Fear fear can just keep it going and going and keep inviting it back into your life. Every time you take a stand for God, you have a victory over fear. That makes you more confident. That makes you more courageous. Imagine Daniel in his life. He's, he's being tested and he's, you know, and how many times has he stood against fear? How many times has he stood against stuff that is dangerous in his life, that'll threaten his life? Now it's a lion's den. He's going to get thrown into the lion's den unless he stands against, if he stands against this. He's 82 years old. He's probably thinking, you know what? I lived my whole life against this stuff. What's the big deal? (laughs) You know, he's moved against fear his whole life. He's left with mainly courage and trust in God. So second thing that stands out is that it builds your faith and your character. Faith and character are like a muscle. If you, you only want to develop a muscle is to put it under stress, to tear it, and then it'll rebuild. Listen to what Paul says about standing out. Second Timothy 1.8. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join me with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Standing for God is a victory over fear. And standing for God builds my faith and character. You see, every time you do the tough thing, you grow in character. You grow in confidence. You grow in strength. You grow in wisdom. You grow to become more like Christ. You build your faith. Back in college, in the early 90s, I went down to Daytona Beach with my university Christian group. We spent days down there, and the goal was to share the gospel on the beach. Now, looking back, it was probably not the wisest use of sharing the good news about Jesus with people if they were on vacation or spring break 
because I'm sure they didn't want to hear me talk about Jesus when they're sunning on the beach. It's just not the best timing. And uh, and I, I honestly don't think we had that much of an impact down there, but it sure did impact me. I was never the same after I got home because talking to strangers gave me the ability to casually talk about God to people I work with in a non-invasive way. So if people ask me what I did over the weekend, I would always mention what I did and say, yeah, on Sunday I went to church and, and I leave the ball in their court if they wanted to follow it up. You'd be amazed at how, if you simply just share your life with others, how often God comes up without forcing it into a conversation. See, standing up for God doesn't mean throwing God in people's faces. It simply is talking about God the same way you would talk around with everyone, with people who believe in Jesus and people who don't. It's just who you are. You don't let other people determine your conversation and what you're going to talk about. You are who you are. It builds your faith and character. Third, when you stand out, it gives an opportunity for God to do a miracle. You'll never see miracles unless you step out of your tiny boat and you walk on water. See, Peter had to get out of the boat to be able to walk on water. If he didn't get out of the boat, he wouldn't have been able to walk on water. Now, of course, Daniel saw miracle after miracle because he gave God the opportunity. I mean, he when he was presented with this decree that, you know, you either not pray or get thrown in the lion's den. Or, I mean, if you pray to God, you're going to get thrown in the lion's den. He, he went home. He threw the doors open and said, I'm just going to keep praying like I've always been praying. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to wimp out. I'm not going to fake it. I'm just going to do it right out in the open. I'm not going to bow my head, at, you know, to what other people want. I'm going to trust in him in front of everybody else. And I'm going to pray. I don't care what they think. It allows God to do a miracle. And here's what happens. The Bible says that when Darius heard that Daniel was the guy who had broken the law, he was sad. He was heartbroken. Go back and read chapter six. Read it from the the very first verse all the way through. And you can see how Darius was misled. And he realizes that, oh my gosh, the guy that I care about and the guy we put in charge of the entire kingdom is now going to go into the lion's den because of my stupid ego, because I signed a stupid law, because of some political power-hungry jerks got me to sign it. And now my favorite guy in the entire kingdom is going to be thrown into the lion's den, eaten by lions. And if you read chapter 6, he even told Daniel before he was thrown into the lion's den, I really hope your God, who you faithfully serve, comes and rescues you. That's pretty crazy. He couldn't even sleep that night. He couldn't eat. He fasted. He took no entertainment. He was upset. I bet guilt was eating him up inside and he couldn't focus. It's pretty unusual for a king to act like this, especially a relatively new king to a newly conquered kingdom. Daniel 6 verse 19 to 23 says, At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God. Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Now, usually when I think about this, or when anyone does, we always go to Daniel and focus on Daniel. 
But look at the king. He came without sleeping, calling out, it says, in an anguished voice. Then the king was overjoyed, knowing God took care of Daniel. I think the king was happier than Daniel. Daniel was probably like, I'm too old for this stuff. Why does it keep happening to me? Can't people just leave me alone? I'm an old dude. <laughs> has God ever rescued you out of a pit? See, first you got to take the risk to end up in a pit. But sometimes we are in a pit of our own making. But you can still praise God in that pit. He says, Daniel says, God came to my rescue. He gave God an opportunity to do a miracle. And the king's overjoyed. You see, standing for God's a victory over fear. It builds your faith and your character, and it gives God an opportunity to do a miracle. And fourth, it encourages other believers to stand up. If you have a cowardly leader, everyone else is a coward. Everyone else will just wimp out. You see, courage is contagious. And when you step up for God and you go, you know what, I'm in, I'll, I'll do this. I'll speak up for God at work. You know what? Other people start coming out of the shadows. Listen to what Paul says while he's in prison. Philippians 1.14. And because of my change, the most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Because of his chains. In other words, because Paul is in prison going through what he's going through, people are confident. Now, I don't understand how that is because, you know, usually like... The guys in prison, are we going to end up in prison too? But that's not how it worked. You see, if you have a cowardly leader, everyone else is a coward. Everyone else wants to wimp out. Courage is contagious. When you step out for God and you go, I'm in, I'll do this. I'll speak up for God at work. You know what? Other people start coming out of the shadows. Going back to that Daytona trip. The way they set up going out and talking to people was they would put one experienced person who's been there before with a new guy or a new girl, and they would go out, and the person who was experienced would show them the ropes, if you will, and go through it. Now, there was one group of people who didn't have a, someone who went before, and the only people to fail to share the good news of Jesus, dying on a cross for our sins and providing us hope for eternal life, if we just ask, was the one that didn't have a previous experience guide. They didn't have a leader to emulate because it was their first time there. And even though they were both strong in the Lord, they couldn't do it because they needed another believer to do it for them first. You see, when you stand out, you are a bold beacon of light for others to do the same. Fifth, powerful example to unbelievers. It's a powerful example to, to believers when you say, sorry, I can't do this. My conscience will not allow me to do it. I'll, I'll violate it. I can't do it. Everyone's doing it, but I can't. I Because God says, don't do it. It's a very powerful example to unbelievers. And this happened in the early church. When the early church, the, the leaders of Peter and John, when they were put before the Sanhedrin, and they realized the leaders, the religious leaders at the time, realized that these guys were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Because remember, they were just fishermen. And here they are being more eloquent, standing up to the religious hierarchy of the day like it's no big deal. You see, the more time you spend with Jesus, the stronger you're going to be. You stand strong when you kneel often. They were ordinary men, Peter and John, were not some kind of intellectual towering giants or superstars. They're just blue-collar fishermen. 
but just normal guys, more normal schmoes. <laughs> and the enemy looks and goes, you guys are incredibly bold for just being ordinary guys. It's obvious you've been with Jesus. I can't think of a finer thing to be said about you than at work people go, she's just a normal person. I don't know where they get that boldness. I certainly wouldn't have that boldness. They've obviously been with Jesus. The more time you spend with Jesus, the more courage you're going to have. Here's an example in Darius, Daniel 6, 25 to 28. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. What's interesting is Daniel's impact on unbelievers may be much greater than expected or anyone thought. As hundreds of years later, many scholars attribute this to Daniel in Matthew chapter 2, 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, wise men from the east. Do you know where that is? It's Babylon, Persia. The wise men came from Iraq and Iran, from Babylon and Persia. Wise men came from the east to Jerusalem asking, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw a star from the east and have come to worship him. They're not Jews. How in the world did they know the prophecy of the Messiah? How in the world did they know that the king of the Jews is to be born and the star is a sign? How in the world did they even know that? These guys are pagan magi. They're fortune tellers, soothsayers. They're like astrologers. They're from Iraq and Iran. They're Babylonians and Persians. Why did the wise men show up at Jesus' birth? It's most likely because of Daniel. Because 18 generations earlier, a guy stood up for God in a pagan culture and he prayed in the open and he spoke about God in the open. That is the long-term impact of standing for Jesus. It's not only a model for your children and your grandchildren and great-grandchildren and future generations to talk about how you stood up in a culture that was going pagan. You stood up. You had the guts and the character and said, I'll get on my knees and stand strong. Generations later, not just Christians, not just believers, pagans knew that the Messiah was going to be born and they show up when they see the star because of this guy, Daniel. That is the power of a sole single person who will say, I will not bend. I will stand firm for God. So next time you're tempted to give in to fear and not stand up for Jesus, take a breath, ask God for strength and just stand up. And be a beacon of hope. See, hope that encourages you. Hope that realizes that, you know what? God's got your back. And hope that shows you that you're going to influence a lot of other people if you stand up. So if you're having a struggle, if you're somewhere in your life that you are being pressured to conform, you know what? Say, you know what? I'm going to pass this eighth test of Daniel. I'm going to stand up for God. Whether it's simply, hey, what'd you do this weekend? And answering truthfully instead of lying like you usually do. Just telling people that you go to church may be difficult. You know, we, we can't even get to the sharing about God because people don't even know we're Christians. Take a stand. You'd be amazed what happens. Well, I hope that encourages you. 
to take a stand. And I will talk to you next week as we look at Daniel's final test. God bless.